0: All right, welcome. Message number two in our series, The Sixth Sense, Understanding and Training Your Conscience. Now, we introduced this series by sharing that each of us has been taught since we were a youth that we have five senses, that we can hear, that we can see, that we can taste, that we can smell, that we can feel. But we also shared that there is a sixth sense that we all possess. And that sixth sense is just as real as those five senses. It's just that we've not been taught that we have it. And that sixth sense is our what? It's our conscience. That's right. Now, the first message in our series, we answered the first question. And the question was, what is our conscience? And just a little review, we said that our conscience is this built-in indicator of right and wrong that we all possess. This conscience of ours, it comes from God. It's part of what it means to be created in God's image. The conscience has a voice. The conscience is speaking to us. It affirms our good behavior. It accuses us of our wrong behavior. Our conscience has two primary functions to encourage us when we are in the right and then to warn us when we are tending or are heading into the wrong. And then we kind of talked about why a study on the conscience is so important. And we talked about how when our body is right, we are healthy. When our spirit is right, we are holy. And when our soul or our conscience is right, we are happy. There's no such thing as a happy person whose conscience is completely what we're going to talk about this morning. If it's not right, your happiness is gone. That's just the way that God has created you. You cannot escape that reality, that truth. Now, this morning, we're going to answer the second question in our series, and the question is this, what is the cost of ignoring your conscience? Let's say you're involved in some sort of behavior, or you're thinking about getting involved in this behavior, and the internal voice of your conscience begins to speak to you. (laughs) This is your conscience. We've all had this experience. Hey, what are you doing, Mac? What are you thinking about, you lame brain? I mean, we've all had our conscience speaking to us. And when we're really, like, involved in something, you know, that probably isn't what we should be involved in, we get that experience. Cease and desist, you know. This is the voice of our conscience that is so very real. But what happens if we decide to ignore the voice, the warning sounds of our conscience. In 1984, an Avianca Airlines jet crashed in Spain, and investigators studying this accident, they made a very eerie discovery. The black box cockpit recorder revealed that several minutes before impact, a shrill computer synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system told the crew in English, pull up, pull up. And the pilot, evidently thinking the system was malfunctioning, snapped, shut up, gringo. And he switched the system off. And minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of the mountain, and everyone on that plane died. And that is a fitting illustration. It's a profound but sad illustration of the way so many people treat the warning messages of their conscience. Shut up, gringo, and we switch it off. You know, the conscience is generally viewed today by our secular world elite, those in Ivy League colleges, professors, and teachers. The conscience is viewed as a defect of evolution that robs people of their self-esteem. That is what is taught in universities. You can buy books that talk to you about that very reality and how to ignore your conscience. But that is not the case. The conscience is a gift of God built into the very fabric of the human soul. It's the soul's automatic warning system that says, pull up, pull up, before you crash and you burn. The conscience implores us to do what we believe is right. The conscience restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong. But what happens if we say, shut up, gringo, to our conscience? What happens if we ignore the warnings of our conscience? Now, I just want to say, if you're watching this on DVD, and you're a parent, and you are watching this with your kids, I want to commend you as a parent, because I I believe that this is one of the most important things that your parents can pass on to you as a child. So it may be a little uncomfortable for you to be watching this right now, but I just want to take away that discomfort and say, this is a powerful thing that your parents are allowing you to be exposed to because your schools are not teaching this. And uh, in many ways, the church, we need to apologize for maybe not teaching this, but we're doing a series on it right now. So thanks for watching this. Now, the Bible teaches, you know, if we say no, if we drown out the conscience, there are four types of consciences that the Scripture speaks about, and this is what we're going to study this morning. The first conscience is a conscience-stricken conscience. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. We introduced this passage at our last session, (laughs) and here is David sparing Saul's life. Now, Saul, the current king, is out to kill David. David was anointed king of Israel, but he's having to flee from Saul because Saul is still in office. In 1 Samuel 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told that David is in the desert of Ein Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So he came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Saul has to use the bathroom. And he goes into for a privacy, uh, for privacy into a cave, and David and his men happen to be in the back of that cave providentially. And the Lord and the men, David's men, said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said that I'm going to give your enemy into your hands, and that you will be king, David. Well, and David crept up unnoticed to Saul, and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And here's the first time we have the mention of the first type of conscience in the Bible. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe. First type of conscience is this initial conscience-stricken conscience that's sensitive in our lives. The initial moment our conscience begins to speak to us, begins to ring. Hey, this is wrong. This isn't right. And notice, if you would, David in this passage, he listens to his conscience. He says in verse 6, he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master the Lord's anointed or lift up my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. And then notice the outcome for David as he listened to his conscience. Verse 8, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, "My lord the king." When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said, "Saul, why do you listen when men say, you know, David has been on harming you this day?" Uh You've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands and some urged me to kill you, but I I spared you. And David talks in this, my hand will not touch you. And then, you know, when David finished speaking there in verse 16, Saul says, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You've treated me well, but I've treated you bad. And then you go into verse 19 and it says, may the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. Watch this. When you follow your conscience and listen to your conscience, the Lord rewards you. There is a reward that comes to your life by listening to your conscience and following it. When we experience a conscience-stricken conscience, we want to listen to our conscience, follow our conscience, obey our conscience. We should never silence our conscience, ignore our conscience, say, shut up, gringo, to our internal guidance system. Now, I want us to talk about this a little bit before we move on, and here's the discussion question. Can you share about a time when you were conscience stricken and you listened to your conscience, and guess what? There was a reward that came because of that. Take a moment, talk about that at your tables. Go for it. So what is the cost of ignoring our conscience? Well. There are four types of conscience that exist, as told in the Bible. First, there is that conscience-stricken conscience. Now, what if, though, when we're conscience-stricken, like David, like we all have been, we actually choose to ignore it? In this situation, David, uh, he listened to his conscience and was rewarded. But what if we we, kind of dull the voice of our conscience, we pay no attention to our conscience, What if we decide to silence our conscience? This action leads to the second type of conscience, and it's secondly, a guilty conscience. Now, go to 1 Samuel 25, and we see this emerge. Now, here we have another story about David and a guy named Nabal and Abigail. And verse 2 says, Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which uh, he was shearing in Carmel. So you've got this rancher named Nabal. He's very wealthy, has a lot of sheep, a lot of goats. David, because he's on the run, is living in the wilderness in this area. David has like 600 men. And uh, David treats this man well. He never invades or takes from him sheep or uh, any of his goats. But David and his men get hungry one day, and David says, "Go to Nabal. I've been good to him, and just ask for a few sheep so we can have a barbecue." And so David's men go to visit Nabal and say, "Hey, I'm uh, David is my master. He sent us here. We've been good to you." And Nabal answers in a very foolish way. Verse ten: Nabal answered David's servants, "Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water?" and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where. Now, everyone knew about David. David was renowned. And this guy had an attitude problem. He was a very foolish man. And David's men go back and tell David what Nabal's response was. And David says, strap on your swords. We are going to battle. This guy is not going to be breathing by the end of this day. Well, Abigail, Nabal's wife, heard through servants about how Nabal treated David's men. And she intervenes. I mean, she puts together a feast of food. Verse 18, Abigail lost no time. She put together 200 loaves of bread, uh, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins. And she takes on figs and she takes and she take all of this to appease David. And she says, let the, 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 the blame be on me. And she prostrates herself before David, and she says even to David at the end of this, verse 30, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Verse 33, David says, may you be blessed for your good judgment and from, for keeping me from bloodshed. This day by avenging myself with my own hands. Wow. Think about this. How many times has God, by his grace and mercy, sent to us someone like an Abigail who serves as a go between, a buffer to keep us from bypassing our consciences and running headlong into sin? When we ignore our conscience and turn to sin, We take upon ourselves the staggering burden of guilt. This is what she said My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and guilt. Why do we feel guilty at times? Because we are guilty. Guilt is the consequence of ignoring our conscience and turning to sin. God has created us this way. You can't escape this reality. If you ignore your conscience and you turn to sin, you will feel guilty. (laughs) That is how God has designed the universe and the human heart. A guilty conscience is the second type of conscience. When we ignore our conscience and we turn to sin we then live with a staggering burden of guilt. It can be the guilt of bloodshed. It can be the guilt of lying, the guilt of stealing, the guilt of gossip, the guilt of lust, the guilt of hate, the guilt of envy. It goes on and on and on. Now watch this. In this case, in 1 Samuel 25, David was close, but David didn't violate his conscience. David didn't end up sinning because God in His mercy sent someone who intervened and woke David up. David was spirit a guilty conscience and the guilt of sin because he heeded the warnings sent to him. Question, what about you and me? Are we heeding the warnings? But this was not always the case for David, nor is it always the case for us where we heed the warnings. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, when the, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. That was his first problem. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. When you should be doing something and you're not, boy, do we get into trouble. And our conscience gets tested in ways that are unimaginable. And we know the story. David is here. He's apathetic. He's indifferent. And he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And you've been with me to the city of David. I've shown you. And we've stood where David would have stood looking down. And we've seen where Bathsheba could have been. Those of you who have traveled to Israel with me. And David was attracted He asked this woman to come to him. He slept with her. She got pregnant. This is the king of Israel, not listening to his conscience, shutting it off. Shut up, gringo. What does he do now? He's in trouble. She's pregnant. Well, he then has Uriah, her husband, killed. Wow. It's amazing what we'll do, what we're capable of doing. What happened? The end of the chapter says, and... The thing David had done displeased the Lord. For watch this, over one year, David ignores his conscience. He tries to hide his sin, cover up his sin. And finally, God sends to David the prophet Samuel. In chapter 12, Samuel comes and says a story. You have to read about that story later. And then all of a sudden, Samuel brings it down. He says in verse 7, you are the man, David, You are the guilty one. You are the sinner. And then you notice how David responds. Look in in verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. You took his wife. You killed him, all this. And then I love David. He says there in verse 13, I have sinned. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. How do we get rid of a guilty conscience? Not by ignoring it, not by pretending it doesn't exist, but by confessing it, by bringing it clearly before the Lord and asking God for the Lord's forgiveness. We read the full confession of David actually in Psalm 32. Now, David wrote many of the Psalms, and Psalm 32 was what David wrote after his sin and being found out, his guilt... And, and, and it's the full confession. And David begins this chapter in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is he. The word blessed is, is the Hebrew word happy. You see, until your conscience is clear and cleansed, you can't be happy. But as soon as you repent, as soon as you confess that sin, all of a sudden, David now, blessed or happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, happy is the man whose whose sin the Lord does not count against, and in whom, whose, whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence about my sin for over a year, my bones wasted away. You see, it goes all the way to the physical part of our being, sin does, through my groaning emotionally all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Um, Beloved, we cannot minimize what sin does in our lives. It affects us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It will destroy you. It is like a cancer. And I, to what degree is the physical illnesses that we are experiencing today as a result of the sin of a guilty heart? and an unwillingness to come before God in confession, and an unwillingness to come even before God's people and talk about what's really going on in our own lives. We are paying a big price. And David paid a big price. Blessed is he (laughs) whose guilt is cleansed. Imagine if you hit me in the face. Some of you are like, I would love to do that to you, Narc. No, I'm just joking. But just imagine, if for no reason, not provoked in any way, you just came up and you just smacked me. Now, I could forgive you, and you know, I probably would. I really would. But watch this. I could never cleanse you. See, when we violate our conscience and sin, we feel guilty, we feel dirty, we feel unclean inside. That's how it works. Only God can wash away your sin. A human being can forgive you. I can forgive you. I cannot cleanse your heart. I cannot cleanse your conscience. That is something only God can do. Only God can cleanse your conscience. That's why Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Only God can do that. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, let's say that you are conscience stricken. Let's get specific here and just use this as an example. Let's say about lying. The initial warning light goes off about lying. That's wrong, that's wrong, your conscience is speaking. And rather than, though, confessing it as sin and getting the cleansing that God wants to give you, you ignore that initial warning. And let's say you choose to live with that area of sin, of lying, so now that you are living with a guilty conscience, you're not turning from it. It was, first of all, this initial conscience stricken, but now you're like, I'm entertaining it. I'm, I, I'm not going to turn and confess that as sin. So now you are living with a guilty conscience for some time. You're not turning from it. What's the next thing that happens to our conscience? Over time, a guilty conscience, because we're not confessing it as sin before God, turns into the third type of conscience, which is a corrupted conscience. Titus chapter 1, verse 15 says this, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are what? Corrupted. Corrupted. That's the third type of conscience. Now watch this. This person isn't just conscience stricken. This person just doesn't have a guilty conscience. This person has a corrupted conscience. Something is turning deeply wrong with this person's soul. This is where we need to remember something about the conscience. The conscience, our conscience, your conscience... Is the indicator, the internal indicator of right and wrong. Your conscience is not God. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is not the Bible. Your conscience is part of you. It's a literal part of your being, your conscience. Your conscience is formed by the choices you make, your choices are shaping and molding your conscience. Your conscience reacts to the highest standard for what you have programmed it and what you've built into it. Your conscience defaults to the highest level of morality that you have programmed it with. Your conscience is your conscience, depending on how you are treating it. How do you treat when you were initially impacted? by being conscience-stricken, what do you do? If you just allow that to fester into a guilty conscience, you are shaping your conscience, the way your conscience will respond. You say, what does this all mean, Mark? Well, let's, let's again get practical. Let's say you are initially conscience-stricken over lying, for example. And you choose to ignore your conscience. You then choose to live with a guilty conscience Until there comes a point when you don't feel guilty anymore about lying. Why don't you feel guilty about lying anymore? Because you have trained your conscience to default to the highest level of morality that you have programmed your conscience with. And you've informed your conscience that lying under certain conditions is okay. And your conscience is adjusting to that level of morality. Why is it adjusting to that level of morality? Because now you have a corrupted conscience. And it is redefining reality according to your own making. Wow. You can lie and not even feel bad about it anymore. This is why people they can steal, they can sleep around, they can have multiple affairs. They can watch pornography. They used to be conscience-stricken. But they have learned to ignore the warning and cry of their soul for so long, they no longer feel guilty like they used to. They are developing a corrupted conscience. How does God feel about this? same way he felt about what David was doing. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It broke God's hearts because he sees where it's going to lead in our own lives. Let's talk about this. It's like you can hear a pin drop in here (laughs) right now. Not sure how it is for you kids watching the video right now. But this is real stuff. It's stuff all of us deals with. Let's talk about this. Do you know of someone who seems to be able to sin and doesn't even feel bad about it anymore? I don't want you to name that person. I just want you to talk about, yeah, I know someone, and maybe you can talk in terms about that. Take a moment, talk about it. Okay, we are answering the question, what is the consequence If we ignore our conscience, what happens when we begin to say no, push our conscience away, try to silence our conscience? And the Bible describes four types of consciences. The conscience-stricken conscience, that initial warning that sounds off. Then there's the guilty conscience. If we choose to ignore our conscience-stricken conscience, it turns into a guilty conscience. Then there's the corrupted conscience, where if we ignore our guilty conscience long enough... Our conscience begins to reprogram itself, and we start to not even feel guilty about the things we once did feel guilty about because our conscience is turning corrupted. Now, where does all this lead? Can our conscience actually get even worse? And the answer is, unfortunately, it can. And there is a fourth type of conscience talked about in the Bible, and it is a seared conscience. This is the fourth descending level of the conscience. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Paul says this the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, you think we're in the latter times? Yeah. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. Whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What a vivid picture. Now, I grew up on a ranch, and I grew up on a ranch where I used to personally sear with a hot iron our cattle. And we did this because we cared for them. We would dehorn our steers so they wouldn't do damage to other cattle. And to prevent the steer from bleeding, we would cauterize the area of laceration. And a hot iron would be placed on that area of soft tissue or flesh, and an instant scab would be formed, and the bleeding would stop. You just picture that, a soft conscience that is seared by a hot iron. You say, how? How how does that happen in someone's life, Pastor? Well, you're talking about a person who has repeatedly ignored and repeatedly violated their conscience again and again and again. And then after years of ignoring their conscience's voice, after years of tolerating guilt and corruption, it's like a hot iron has been placed over that entire once soft conscience, and a scab envelops their conscience that prevents that once tender, sensitive conscience from even functioning anymore. And this is what we are seeing all over the world. You watch the news any night, any night, we see liars who lie without any sense that lying is wrong. We see murderers who murder, watch this, without any remorse. We see rapists who rape without any sense of wrong. We see pedophiles who abuse innocent little children or watch child pornography without any ill feelings. We see terrorists who kill, maim, and torture without any sense of guilt. You know, um, I battled, should I get specific here, but, you know, with my role as our pastor of missions... I am constantly briefed about what's going on all over our world, especially regarding the church, the state of the church. And our Western media does such a terrible job at informing us of the realities of what's taking place with ISIS. And not just with ISIS, with in many parts of the world, it's unbelievable. And um, this is just reality. So I I do want to read a little bit, just one, about what's going on right now in Syria and in Iraq and now moving into Libya with ISIS. Um, This is just one report. Whatever evil things you can imagine are nothing compared to what is really happening in Syria. The destruction, the killings, and the kidnappings, the extremists... Kidnapped one of my relatives. This is a personal account. They cut off his head, and they started to play soccer with his head. They take the children and put many of them in the oven to kill them. You don't hear this, but this is going on by the thousands. They kidnap the women and rape them and leave them naked in the streets. When they take any woman, they declare... Allah Akbar, God is great. Maybe 10 men take turns on one woman and rape her. They do that until the woman dies. They do this everywhere, especially to Christians. The extremists entered the house of a Christian family I know. The 85-year-old woman was so old she couldn't even walk. Her husband is 95 years old. The terrorists entered and raped the woman In front of her husband, the husband went crazy with grief. That's just the beginning of the brutality of what is taking place to our Christians, brothers and sisters, and not just Christians, but in many places of the world. Now, why do I share this with you? I mean, because number one, we should be praying and giving like we do. But how can people do this? Can people actually do this without any remorse or scruples? Yeah, they can. Why? Because they've ravaged their own consciences through relentless, ongoing immorality, lawlessness, lies, satanic teaching, perversion, evil, and the list goes on. They were not born devoid of a soft conscience. They've hardened it. They have seared it as with a hot iron. And now it is cauterized, hardened, ineffective, void of any functioning. It is as good as dead. And there are people on this planet that are experiencing that very reality. See, the Bible teaches this. It's a very simple scripture, and you hear it all the time. The waves of sin is death. If you continue in sin, and it moves from... A conscience stricken, to a guilty and you don't repent, to a corrupted, it will move to a seared, it will kill you. The wages of sin is death. The payment of sin, if you stay in it, is death. C.S. Lewis said this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's a little rationalization here, a little hardening here, a little bit at a time is how Satan works in our hearts. Hmm. A conscience-stricken conscience, if ignored, leads to a guilty conscience. Ignored guilty conscience leads to a corrupted conscience. An ignored corrupted conscience leads to a seared conscience that is basically dead and void of functioning. Wow. Wake up, America. America. Wake up, world. Wake up, church. This relates to all of us. I knew this wouldn't be that easy. But it's truth we need to hear. What's the good news, Pastor Mark? The good news is this. No one needs to live with a guilty, corrupted, and seared conscience. You don't need to go down that path. No one needs to go down the path That leads to, watch this, conscience suicide. There are people that are committing suicide with their conscience because they're going down this path. The Bible also talks about how to have, watch this, a good, clean, and clear conscience. I'm going to spend a whole hour on that in our fourth message and tell you how to train your conscience to actually be good. There is hope but we have to talk about the problem, beloved, and you have to hear something clear on it. And right now, I'm trying to answer one question for you in your mind. What happens when you ignore your conscience? Four results can come. I want you to walk away from here knowing that. If you're a young person watching that, and I see a lot of young people here today as well, but I hope this video goes viral with young people. And they will wake up and realize, wow, I have something incredibly precious in my heart. It's called my conscience. And if I ignore it, the warnings that God is speaking to us, wow, it can ruin my life, and it can. We'll talk about that next week and also give hope next week. For, for now, I want to give you an exhortation and a warning, if I could. And look, if you would, it's there in your notes, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. There's this wonderful scripture here, and it it exhorts us to something, and it warns us about something. And, And notice the scripture, fight the good fight, Paul says, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected this and have shipwrecked their faith. Wow. Now, notice the exhortation, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. How, the scripture answers, by holding on to a good conscience. Now, watch this if you want to have a good conscience, you got to fight for it. It just does not come naturally. I'm sorry, it does not. I'm going to teach you how to fight for a good conscience in our fourth message in this series. We're going to spend a whole hour on that. But right now, I want to just, like, drive a stake in your heart that if you don't fight for this, let me tell you, Satan is so deceptive, he will just take you down a down spiral because he wants to destroy your life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's very cunning and very smart. The warning here in the Scripture is this. Some, by not holding to a good conscience, that is, by not fighting for it, you've got to fight for this, have shipwrecked their faith. Some, by not holding on to a good conscience, have shipwrecked their family, they've shipwrecked their, their marriage, they've shipwrecked their business, they've shipwrecked their life. <sighs> they're not holding on. They're not fighting for this area in their life, a good conscience. You know, all this being said, you know, I, it just kind of hit me. I kind of believe that the conscience may be the least understood part of our humanity. I, I really believe that. It's like you read so much about every other area in your life, but it's like I, I just can't find much written about at all this area of the conscience, I just don't, and I can see why the enemy wants to blind us to its reality. If he can make us think it doesn't exist and it's not important that you train it, well gosh, he's got us on a downroll you know slide. <sighs> so I, I want you to just kick around one thing at your tables for a second here. I want you to respond, and then I want to end by reading to you a very powerful illustration here, but uh, here's the discussion question. What most right now, what's most impacted you when you hear about these four types of consciences that the Bible talks about? What's the biggest, like, impact? You're sitting there, you're hearing this, you're watching this. How is this impacting you that there are these four different types? Take a moment, talk about that. Okay, this morning, what we've done is we've answered the second question in our series. What is the cost of ignoring our conscience? What is the cost if we say, shut up, gringo, to our conscience? What if we ignore the warnings of our conscience? Well, then our conscience defaults to one of four consciences, ultimately a conscience stricken conscience, a guilty conscience, a corrupted conscience. A seared conscience. Now, I haven't seen this movie by Julia Roberts, Secret in Their Eyes. Maybe you have, but I want to read a little article on it. Secret in Their Eyes is one of the few movies to present what could be considered a biblical view of revenge, writes this author out of World Magazine. Set in 2001, shortly after 9-11, Jess, Julia Roberts, and her partner, Ray, are counter-terrorist agents. Confronted with a crime too horrific, too personal to view clinically, a terrorist informer rapes and murders Jess's teenage daughter. As if this weren't gut-wrenching enough, Jess must, must watch the killer go unpunished. He's too valuable. To the FBI task force. It would take, this author says, a miraculous work of the heart of a woman in Jess's position to offer forgiveness to the man who brutally ended her daughter's life. Yet, in failing to offer it, Jess grows more and more hollow and less and less of a full person. Ultimately, There is nothing left to her personality but bitterness and barely contained fury. This author says, the movie subtly suggests that God doesn't claim vengeance for himself to deprive us something we deserve, but to relieve us of a burden that is too much for our short-sighted, unholy shoulders to bear. God says, vengeance is mine, because if you try to take it into your own hands, it'll kill you. Sin is mine. Jesus died for it. If you try to take that sin and that guilt and live with it and hide it, it'll kill you. That's why God is not punishing you or he loves you. He says, "Give my sin to give your sin to me." Wow. none of us is able to bear the burden of a violated conscience, the burden of the guilt that sin brings. We're not meant to bear that, to live with it. A woman came up to see me a few weeks ago, and I my heart went out to her. I said, I really like you. But she was so full of bitterness and rage. She was using vulgarities and just anger. And I just said, I see in your life that you are carrying the the weight of the world on your shoulders. And it's destroying you. You've got to give this burden to God. God. We think by, by holding on to this guilt, by hiding it, somehow, that's good? We're so deceived. Paul says, fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Hold on to a good conscience. We're going to talk about that. It's all about coming back to God. God is the giver of a good conscience. He is the giver of a forgiven and cleansed and clean conscience. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. I will give you that kind of a heart, that kind of a conscience. I will take your guilt and in exchange cleanse you. Psalm 32, five, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, God knows everything about your conscience. Every nook and cranny of your conscience and he loves you, and he's willing, if you will come to him, to literally forgive and then cleanse and then forget, if you're willing to come to him. That's the offer God gives to all. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God. The question right now is this, what are you going to do with the state of your conscience? Are you going to draw near to God, or are you going to push God away? How's it been going, pushing God away? Not too good. Because it results in one of these four types of conscience. God just, in his love, says, Come, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pray.